Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. Life, faith, together. Well, today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2 and verses 41 to 52, which is all about Jesus going to the temple when he was 12 years old and then being left behind. Now, other than when Jesus was dedicated as a baby, Luke's gospel only mentions Jesus going to the temple twice. Once right at the beginning, when Jesus is 12 years old, and then once right at the end, just before Jesus is crucified. And on both of these occasions, it's during the festival of the Passover. Now, the background to these these temple visits is an ancient prophecy, the ancient prophecy of Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, which was written about 400 years before the birth of Jesus. And this is what it says. It says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple says the Lord Almighty. So so when God comes, when, when God steps into human history through the Messiah as a human, when he comes, he's going to go to his visit. He's going to, uh, to his temple. He's going to visit uh, his temple. And in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2, it says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And it's with this background in mind that we pick up our Bible reading in Luke chapter 2 and verses 41 to 52. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature 
and in favour with God and man. Well, the tension is running high today. I mean, it's fever pitch. It's it's Passover today. And so there are loads of pilgrims from all over, all over the place coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Now, Jerusalem normally has a population of about 80,000 people. But during the festivals, it swells up to about 500,000 people. You see, our law requires that every adult male, although women and children are expected to come along, but our law only requires that every adult male to attend our three annual festivals, the Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Now, most Jews who live far away, like in Galilee, which is a three-day journey to get to Jerusalem, well, it's impossible for them to come to all three. But the whole villages will come for the Passover. In fact, some Jews who live even further afield will make sure that at least once in their lifetime, they will come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. You see, the Passover is a very special festival for us Jews. It's a time when we remember how God rescued us from slavery in Egypt. And the reason it's called the Passover is because the angel of death passed over our houses when he saw the blood of the lamb on our doorposts. And so on the first day of the festival, we all take a lamb to the temple to give it to a priest to sacrifice it for us. And then we return to our own accommodation in Jerusalem. And then we eat the lamb with bitter herbs as a whole family, as a way of remembering those bitter years of slavery and how it was through the blood on the lamb on the doorpost that God rescued us from slavery in Egypt. And then for the next seven days, we eat nothing but unleavened bread. And it's during these times that the, the, that Tensions run really high. Like I said, it was really high at this time. And you've got with so many people in the city and with all uh, the, the religious and nationalistic feelings at fever pitch. There's often riots at this time, at festival times. You see, when everyone comes to Jerusalem and they suddenly realize or are reminded that the Romans are still ruling over us. The sure fact that pagan Romans are ruling over us and that we're not truly an independent nature is is abhorrent for us Jews. Not to mention the fact that we are being exploited by very high taxes and the like. And the Romans are well aware of this too. And so the Roman governor and a whole battalion of Roman soldiers are also in town. And if there's a riot... They're going to simply slaughter everyone. And so I've been placed on guard to keep the peace and to make sure that there's no riots. What? No, I'm not a Roman soldier. How could you even suggest that? No, I'm a temple guard. I work for the high priest. We, we kind of like the local police force. And it's a real honor to be a temple guard. Not any old Jew can become a temple guard. You have to be a Levite. No, not Levi genes. No, you have to be from the tribe of Levi. Uh, That's the priestly tribe. That's where all the priests come from. We also help assist the priest in some of their temple duties. 
Anyway, like I said, we were all on high alert because the high priest had heard that this rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, was coming to town with a whole bunch of followers. And everyone's claiming that he's the Messiah, the true king of the Jews. And according to the high priest, this has the potential of starting a riot and getting us all killed. So we, our job is to ensure that we keep the peace, that there's no right, and if need be, take out the so-called Messiah. The other uh, temple gods were like, who is this guy, uh, this rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth? We've never heard of him. But I knew him. I had met him many years ago. It was about 21 years ago. He was still a little boy. He was about 21. Oh, sorry. He was about 12. I, I will never forget that day. It was my first day on the job. And again, it was during Passover. Well, the Passover feast had just ended, but there were still loads of pilgrims in town. I was so young and enthusiastic. I can remember being stationed at one of the, the entrances, entrances to the temple. And, and I can remember thinking that I, I would be suppressing a riot or, or catching a thief or catching a bandit. But no, my first assignment, a missing child. It was just about then that this uh, mother and father came running up to me in a right panic. I was like, calm down, calm down. What's the matter? And they were like saying, oh, we, we, we've lost our boy. He's only like 12 we, and it's been three days and we, we still can't find him. Please help. They were in a right panic. Well, now that I think about it, looking back at it, it's not surprising. Imagine you have been entrusted to look after the Messiah and you lose him for three days. Well, we shouldn't be too harsh on them. Easy mistake to make, especially with a 12-year-old boy. You see, these pilgrims, they travel in large groups of relatives and friends for safety purposes. And all the women and children travel at the front and all the men bring up the rear. And so a 12-year-old boy could either be at the back with the men because he, his, his dad's looking after him. You see, what, what, what happens, uh, a, a boy comes of age when, when they hit 12. So, like I said, this, this, uh, so this Jesus was, was, was 12. So he was just about coming of age. They actually come of age when they're 13. So when they hit 13, uh, a boy suddenly becomes a man. They leave school and they start their apprenticeship in whatever trade they're going to go into. And they start their apprenticeship and they have to stand on their own two feet as a man. And, uh, not only do they come of age, but they also become what's called the son of the law. Uh, you might have heard of our ceremony, uh, a bar mitzvah. That simply means the son of the law. When you become 13, you, you suddenly become personally responsible for obeying all the laws of God found in the Old Testament. So during the, the big festivals like the Passover, you will often see... Uh, fathers running around with their 12-year-old sons because they're mentoring their, their, their boy. 
showing him around the temple, uh, telling him what uh, the meaning of everything and showing him what he has to do. Because the following year, when he's 13, he's personally responsible for doing it all himself. And it's around the age of 12 that a boy suddenly starts to discover their identity and their vocation, their calling in life. And so a 12-year-old boy would sometimes be with all the, the women and the children because he's still a boy. But because he's coming of age, he might be with his dad. He might be with his father because his father's busy mentoring him. And so as the pilgrims are, are traveling, the 12-year-old boy could either be with the, with, with the men at the back because his father's mentoring him, or he could be up at the front with the women and kids. And so it's only after they've traveled for a whole day and when they make camp would they suddenly realize that he's missing. I thought he was with you. I, I thought he was with you. And then... They have to travel a whole day to get back to Jerusalem. That's the second day. And now it's the third day and they're looking for him and they still can't find him. Well, eventually we did find him. And you'll never guess where we found him. He was in the temple court, sitting amongst the teachers, the rabbis, listening to them and asking them questions. You see, it's during these big religious festivals that all the great rabbis in Jerusalem and from all over Israel gathered together to teach people the law, the laws of God are in the temple courts. And they have an open discussion of question and debate in an open forum. And anyone, well, any Jewish man, uh, can come and participate in these open discussions by simply sitting at the feet of these great teachers. And the whole learning process is based on asking and answering questions. So, so you would ask a question and then they would respond with a counter question and so on and so on. And, and there was this 12-year-old sitting at the feet of these great rabbis, listening to them and asking them questions, like, like an avid student. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. I mean, I, I was amazed. He, he had insightful questions and he had such good understanding. And some of his answers were just truly profound. And the most amazing thing was he was only 12 years old. Sure, he, he would have... Uh, gone to school in the synagogue with all the other boys in Nazareth. But it's really only after someone sat under these, these great rabbis for, for a number of years after they're 13 and older that you would expect to have this kind of insight. I could tell right there and then that one day he was going to be a rabbi. Maybe a great rabbi himself. Maybe he would even be teaching at this very spot. Maybe he would even be teaching these very rabbis. Who knows? Well, we weren't the only ones who were, were amazed. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. Uh, they, they were astonished, not because of his great insight uh, and not because, uh, uh, you know, they had left him behind for, for, for three days, but, but they seemed to be astonished that he didn't even seem to have noticed that they had gone. He, he seemed to be so absorbed in learning from these great rabbis that he hadn't even noticed the time. 
And so his mother said, like only a mother can, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And I, I could detect a, a mix of emotions, uh, annoyance. Uh, quite understandably, she was annoyed, but there was also mixed with a bit of confusion. Like, how could he have not noticed that we weren't here? And then there was also a real sense of relief to have found him, mixed with a bit of guilt at the fact that she had lost him for three days. And all these emotions were being released at once. But now it was her son who seemed to have such great understanding, who suddenly looked totally confused. And he said, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, he wasn't being rude and I didn't detect any hint of sarcasm. He, he seemed to be genuinely confused. Like, why were you searching for me? I mean, surely you knew I had to be here? And so if you wanted to find me, surely you would have just come here and called for me? Now we were confused. How were we supposed to know that he had to be here? And why did he have to be here? He also said something that was quite shocking. Although I didn't pick it up at the time. He said, I had to be in my father's house. We all looked at Joseph. Joseph was scratching his head. But, but now I get it. He was claiming that God was his father. I mean, no one in my culture would ever claim that. It, it, it's too intimate. It's too personal. But yet, that's exactly what he claimed. That God was his father. And that means that he must be the unique son of God. That in, in some mysterious way, he, he was God. And he had come to us as a human. Wow. I wonder. I wonder. Uh, perhaps just like all 12-year-olds, when they're coming of age, suddenly discovered their true identity and vocation and calling in life. I wonder if this was the first time that Jesus, or at least the defining moment when Jesus gains a, self, a self-conscious awareness of who he really is and what he's been called to do, to be the Messiah. I wonder. Well, imagine being his parents. I mean, imagine trying to bring up a child who thinks he's the son of God. What a handful. Well, apparently not. Uh, I have it on a really good source that when he went back to Nazareth, that he was really polite and obedient to his parents. And even though, even though he was way more intelligent and his wisdom was way beyond theirs, he was still obedient to his parents. And he just continued to grow in wisdom and maturity. And he was really popular. Like everyone liked him. He was a, a really popular kid. And he was a good kid. But the thing I just can't get out of my mind is that he said, Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? I 
had to be. It was an absolute necessity. He, he had to be in the temple. He had to be learning from the scriptures, from these great rabbis. He had to be in the temple, worshipping. He had to be in his father's presence. Wow. If, if the Messiah, and I'm not saying he is the Messiah, but if he is the Messiah and he has to be as an absolute necessity, as absolute priority, if he has to be learning from the Bible and from these great rabbis and being in the temple with other people, worshipping and being in the Father's presence, then how much more do I have to be reading my Bible and, and being taught by great rabbis and, and gathering in the temple to be in the presence of God's people, worshipping, but ultimately being in the presence of God himself? I wish I had that kind of commitment. I mean, if, if the Messiah needs to be doing that as an absolute necessity in order to truly discover his identity and his vocation and calling in life, how much more do I? Like I said, I wish I had that sense of commitment, that sense that this is an absolute necessity, a priority in my life. What about you? Do you have that sense that you have to be in your Heavenly Father's presence? Do you? Oh, everyone's grabbing palm branches. Here he comes. I better get going. Let's pray. Actually, before we pray, let's just reflect for a moment. How often are we like Joseph and Mary? Joseph and Mary leave to go back to Nazareth, assuming Jesus is with them, accompanying them, but he's not. They've left him behind. How often do we go off on our own paths, you know, carrying on and paying attention with our own business, merely assuming Jesus is with us, that he's accompanying us, but he's not. We've lost him. We've left him behind. And when we sense the lack of his presence in our life. We need to search for him, just like Mary and Joseph did. We need to search for him by reading the Bible, by praying, by gathering together for worship, by meeting up in our life groups. We need to search for him until we find him. And when we find him, we need to join him in doing his father's work. So are we committed to reading our Bible and praying as an absolute necessity? Coming to church to learn from the teaching and to worship God together as an absolute necessity? Are we committed to experiencing God's presence and joining God in His work as an absolute necessity? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you Father. That we can be part of your family. We thank you that you desire to have a relationship with us. You desire to, 
be intimately connected in our life. And you desire to work with us and through us. But Father, we confess that so often we just go about our own business, assuming you are there. We relegate you to second place or third place in our list of priorities. And we slowly drift away from you without even realizing. Father, we pray that you would become our first place, our absolute priority. That spending time with you would become an absolute necessity. And that through that, we would discover who we really are. We will discover our true vocation, our calling. And so, Father, at the start of this year, at the start of 2021, Father, we want to declare that we're going to put you as our first priority. We're going to commit to to coming to church, to gathering together, to worshiping together, to going to our life groups and growing in our faith, of spending time in the word and prayer. Spending time in your presence. We thank you that you've been so faithful to us that we can trust you. And so we want to put you as our priority. Father, won't you forgive us when we haven't? Won't you forgive us when we've relegated you down the list of priorities? But Father, we want to commit ourselves afresh this morning. In the name of Jesus. Amen. For more information, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.